This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. Today's episode, I wanted to focus on a model for change as well as obstacles or barriers that come up for us when we are in the process of any kind of change, right? Obviously, as a mental health professional working with sex addiction, intimacy disorder, that type of stuff, we're looking at how do we move from an addictive system into a recovery system and how do we make those changes over time and make the changes so that they are permanent. But we also have to recognize that we're going to encounter obstacles anytime we're in the process of change. And that doesn't mean just if you're moving from addiction into a model of recovery. Anytime we're looking at changes in our lives and making changes, there are models out there that are helpful that we can kind of break down for ourselves regardless of what that change is going to look like. So one of the changes that we use, there's three points that we look at. So point one, maybe four we could say, but really when I'm talking with clients about it, talking about it in terms of point one, right? And again, sometimes breaking it down into a three-point model makes it a little bit more concrete, makes it um, not seem so overwhelming because often change is an overwhelming process. And so how do we break it down into clear, concrete steps for an individual to focus on? So point one, we're always looking at what have you been doing that works, right? We don't want to discard things that a person is doing that are actually working for them. And, you know, sometimes these things are more on a small scale than we realize. Sometimes when I'm working with clients, when I'm saying to them, what have you been doing that works? You know, they're saying nothing, nothing works. Well, that's probably not entirely true. And so sometimes we have to be able to look at, you know, maybe smaller things or things that maybe they're skipping over because it kind of has blended in the background, which is something that happens, right? If it isn't new, it may not stand out to us. We, our brain may not register this and we may skip over it or minimize the importance of what is there. So bringing attention to that bringing that to the forefront and being able to say, this is working. It may not be all that is needed for change, right? Because again, it's point one, but it is something, something to start with that we're looking at that's saying, okay, this is working. One of the examples that is used when we're looking at this model of change is building roads. So the Romans used concrete for their main roads and bridges. Today, some of those are actually still in use. It was an effective technology, but we changed. Today, concrete methodologies have improved. We build six and eight lane highways to handle more traffic, and our bridge building has improved in both design and layout, but we use the same basic material. So again, this is something that we already know that this works, right? And that leads us into step number two, which is, we do more with what we have. So we take step one, what is working? And then we add to that, like what needs to be added to this or how can we use 
or yield more out of what we already have. So let me put this in example, maybe more day-to-day or something that looks more relevant to your life, right? So sometimes with clients, like, you know, I also work with clients who recognize or identify as food addicts and struggle with weight and weight loss and weight gain and all that type of stuff. So for example, some of them that I'm working with have started a process of exercising, right? Whether that's getting out and walking and that's become part of a daily habit where they get out and they walk. Now, what still is going wrong, right, is how they eat or what they eat, that type of stuff. But getting out and walking or getting out and hiking, those things are in place and they're working. And that's great, you know. Sometimes when I'm working with sex addicts, we're working the three-circle sobriety plan, right? And I'm looking at what are you doing physically that works, you know. And, And usually that's an area for many of my clients that... They've got some things in that category that are working. And movement is good for the body, right? Regardless of how intense or less intense or things like that, that looks like. Now, we have to be aware if we're getting into, you know, kind of extreme sports, because again, that's going to follow that same addictive pathway and feel very similar in the body and in the brain to an addiction. But if you've got kind of a routine where you are doing certain things and you're actively doing something that works, again, that may not be the whole puzzle, but it's a piece that's working. So next we look at, like I said, what needs to be added? How can we do more with the same material, right? Or the same behavior or what needs to increase, right? So sometimes that's connected to number one, or sometimes another way that we talk about this is like, let's get one anchoring behavior. Some of my clients don't necessarily have any or very, not. I wouldn't say any, that's kind of an extreme, but they don't necessarily have a behavior that it's consistent or habitual in their life that is positive. So sometimes we're starting with point one and We're saying, okay, what is something that we can add to your life that doesn't feel overwhelming, that can fit into your life actually, right? And we call that an anchoring behavior that kind of anchors you, right? This is something I do every day and it it grounds me, it anchors me, it starts to build a habit. And then in point two, we're saying, okay, now that we've got this anchoring behavior in place, what can we add to that anchoring behavior, right? So... For example, with addiction recovery, this may be, can I add, you know, maybe they're coming regularly to individual therapy. And that is point number one, right? That's something that they're doing that works. They, you know, the rest of the week may not actually be very positive or productive, but they are regularly attending their therapy sessions. That's great. Now we've got kind of that anchoring behavior Can we add maybe a group? Can you join group therapy, right? Or maybe we add in 12 steps fellowships. And so we're starting to look at, you know, those types of things that maybe go along or enhance, reinforce the initial behavior and add to the anchoring behavior. Now, phase three is to add technologies and strategies that you've never done before, right? So what things have you not done? Well, for some people, going to group 
is one of those things, right? That's maybe what we're adding or going to a 12 step group regularly is something that they have not done. Some have gone to 12 steps, but they haven't gone consistently or regularly or really kind of gotten to know the people in their group, had a sponsor. So those are things that we can add that clients have not done. So what we're talking about in point three is resources that already exist, right? We're not inventing the wheel here. So they're resources that already exist, but maybe we haven't tapped into them. Maybe we haven't tried them or had an experience with these. Sometimes that's adding meditation, right? That might be adding a mindfulness practice on a regular basis. Maybe it's adding, you know, routines in the morning and routines in the evening. How do we start our day? How do we end our day, right? There's a lot of daily readers out there. We might be adding a daily reader and doing some journaling along with that. So things that we haven't done yet, but these resources already exist. And then in phase four, right? These are things that maybe we need to invent in order to make our journey safer or more comfortable. Now, I think with this stage four, right? All things are possible. Sometimes what is required here is maybe some creative thinking, out of the box thinking, talking to other people, getting consultation, coming up with like, if everything were working for me, or if I was in this place where step number one, step number two, and step number three were working really well and moving me forward in a productive way, what would that fourth thing be that really kind of puts me over the finish line? Not that there's a finish line in recovery, right? And the other thing to think about is during this process of things that we're looking at that work or starting to put in anchoring behaviors, what needs to increase, what things have we not done. The other question that goes along with this, right, or the other side of those questions is what have you been doing that doesn't work? And can you start to let go of that? You know, what needs to increase? The other side of that question is also what needs to decrease, right? And what things have you not done Well, we know that by things that we have done that aren't working, right? And so sometimes when we're asking one question in the background is also the other side of that question. And a lot of times that has to do with in models of change, we're looking at what am I leaving behind? What am I letting go of? What am I kind of giving up, right? Whether those are beliefs that I have, limits that I have put in place for myself that I need to go beyond that. Or maybe I'm putting in limits that I stay within either side of that, right? Maybe I'm giving up fears. Maybe I'm even giving up obligations that I feel bound to, but actually kind of restrict me or weigh me down or take up more of my time than I'm willing to give. So next let's look at obstacles. We're all going to encounter obstacles. And if you've ever read the book, The Alchemist, It's kind of a quick read. I usually tell clients the book itself is somewhat misleading in that, you know, when you look at it, it looks like a, I mean, it doesn't look like a long book or a big book. You know, we're not talking like 500, a thousand pages, but it looks like a decent sized book. But when you open it, you recognize that the spacing and the margins on it make it actually a much quicker read than you would have anticipated just looking at the book itself. And so this book is written by, and I I never know if I'm getting his name right. I've read this book multiple times, but it's by Paulo Coelho. 
and he's Brazilian, wrote this book years ago. Like, I remember first seeing it. I didn't read it then, but I remember seeing it like when I was in high school. I think my mom was reading it. And that would have been the 80s, later 80s. And so by the time I started reading it, he had rewritten the introduction to this book. And I have to say, the introduction is one of the most compelling, succinct, and inspiring pieces that I've ever seen written about self-fulfillment, about believing in self, and about kind of pursuing your own life calling. So it's a simple story. Like I said, I've, I've read it multiple times. There for a while, it was kind of a book that I read every summer. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't hard. It wasn't long or anything like that. I could read it like in one or two days, right? But every time I was reading it, it spoke to me in a different way. Or, you know, while on the surface, it's quite a simple story about this sheep herder, there's actually a lot of complexities to the book um, that you don't always see on face value. I mean, you kind of are aware that maybe something deeper is going on or the author is trying to say something in this simple story that you have to look a little bit deeper at. But he talks about in this story, right, this sheep herder has a call and that is not sheep herding, that's not the call. And so he leaves his life as it is, the life that he's known, the life that his family's known, and sets out to fulfill this calling, right? Now, we're always going to meet an obstacle. And the author, Paulo, breaks it down into four obstacles that we're all going to encounter. So he talks about obstacle one, right? And he says, we're told from childhood on that everything we want is impossible. He says, as the years accumulate, so do the layers of fear, prejudice, or guilt. And our personal calling gets buried so deeply in our soul, it's invisible to us, but it's still there. It's not like it went away. It's just covered up by a lot of layers. So, you know, that's obstacle number one. Can I hear this calling? And can I kind of uncover it in a way that I know what I'm supposed to do? And he asks the question, do we have the courage to disinter the dream? right? Kind of wake up from this dream that we've been kind of handed. It's not necessarily a dream in terms of like goals or lofty aspirations, like that, not that type of dream, but kind of just falling asleep in life maybe and just kind of going about our day, day in, day out, and not necessarily hoping or connecting with this calling and actually pursuing something that we're supposed to pursue. Now, I remember when I first showed up to my module one of my CSAP training and I felt like I showed up a little bit uh, battered and bruised. What had led me there were not ideal circumstances, but I knew that I needed to go there. So I showed up on day number one and we got a bookmark. Each of us had, you know, a bookmark sitting on the table that we were going to sit at and I need to find mine. I think I have it at my office still. But basically that bookmark said something about like, what is your calling, right? Or how are you pursuing your calling? It didn't say that. That's a lot of words to fit on a bookmark. But basically it said something about this calling and your personal calling. 
And I remember kind of reading that and thinking, right, like I said, things were not easy prior to me deciding I'm going to pursue my CSAT certification. That didn't come to me through ideal circumstances, I would say. But it got me there nonetheless. Now, I also had to recognize that I was pursuing yet another addiction certification. And addiction in and of itself, I did not think was ever my calling, right? I think I took an addiction class in graduate school. I took one addiction class in graduate school. But I, you know, I grew up Mormon. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even know addicts. And so after I graduated with my MSW, I moved back to Utah and started applying for jobs. And the first person that responded to my resume and reached out and wanted to schedule a time to meet was an addiction job, right? I was working in substance abuse. And I didn't want that job necessarily, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go on the interview. You know, it's always good to go on interviews and practice interviewing skills and kind of just get in that groove of interviewing. So I drove up to the building, had the interview. The interview actually went really well, drove back home. And by the time I got home, I had a message on my answering machine because this is the nineties, right? So we had answering machines and they were offering me the job. They said, you know, we think you're a great candidate. You interviewed well, we'd like to offer you the job. Please get back to us. And again, this wasn't necessarily a job that I wanted. And so I thought, okay, well, so I, I did call him back and I told him, you know, I'm going to be unavailable for the next two weeks, but I will let you know at the end of the two weeks what that decision is. And I wasn't going to be unavailable. I was just simply buying myself time. Right. And I applied and went on multiple job interviews. I was hustling, right? I was trying to find any job that I could that wasn't an addiction. And at the end of the two weeks, I had only this one job offer, right? And so I kind of was talking to my husband and I was like, well, a job is better than no job. Also, you know, the saying, it's easier to get a job if you have a job. And I was like, I also just really want health insurance and I wanna be able to go to the dentist, right? And so, and these health insurance benefits started on day one. So I took the job. And I had no idea that I was actually moving into what I now see as my calling, right? Sometimes I'm like, I don't know that I had the courage to disinter the dream. I feel like my dream kind of had to chase me down, grab me by the collar. And as I was pursuing these other dreams, it kind of had to keep calling me back here. And so, you know, 28 years later, I'm still working in addiction. And I love it. And even kind of from the beginning as this, I started this job, number one, I worked with some fantastic therapists and my supervisor was fantastic. I also started to recognize that there was something about addiction that just made sense to me. And again, I'm still of the assumption that like, I don't even know addicts. Like, why am I going to 12 step meetings with clients and it's resonating with me? Like I'm certainly not an addict. And as I continued kind of pursuing that calling and that calling kept maybe opening up more and more and showing me more and revealing more, you know, two years into that job, I was kind of like, wait a minute, 
this is explaining some things. And maybe my dad was an addict. I've talked before in episodes about my dad, so I'm not going to go into that in this episode. But, you know, that, that confirmation of my dad being an addict didn't come for probably, I don't know, I'm not doing the math off the top of my head, but probably at least another decade plus that confirmation didn't come that I grew up in an addicted family, right? I grew up in a house where there was an addict and I didn't even know that. So that's kind of obstacle one. Can we kind of have the courage to maybe wake up to a calling that has always been in us, but buried? Kind of also reminds me of a quote by Joseph Campbell where he says, you know, if the path that you're pursuing this isn't exactly his quote, but if the path that you're pursuing has kind of been laid out for you and has been somewhat easy as you move down, it probably is not your path because our paths aren't necessarily easy, right? It's not a clear cut. That's probably what somebody else has given us and not necessarily ours. So obstacle two that Paulo Coelho talked about is the approval of others. He says, we fear that others will be hurt or leave us if we are true to who we are. And so often in pursuing our own calling and pursuing our dream, one of the things that can stop us short of obtaining our calling, right? Or living our calling is this fear of what others are going to think of me or what happens if I, if I disappoint them or if I let them down. Now, Recently, we've gone through The Tao of Fully Feeling by Pete Walker, and so we can kind of understand how integrated that obstacle or that fear may be in us because, you know, many of us who grew up in dysfunctional families, which I think is probably most of us or all of us, it was never okay, right? So we we don't have experience with this idea of betraying others in order to be true for me. And if we are introduced to that concept of, can I betray another in order to be true to myself? We usually will dismiss it as selfish, wrong, like that is not the right thing, right? And yet he says, you know, those who genuinely wish us well, want us to be happy and are prepared to even accompany us on that journey if that's also part of their path, right? Usually it's not the whole path at some point, you know, that person who was accompanying us is going to have to break off because our path is not their path. But he says, those who genuinely wish us well want us to be happy and they're not going to play the victim or they're not going to punish us or lash out when we're explaining that like, it's time for me to move on. I've got to pursue this in another way or I just can't stay here anymore and I've got to kind of spread my wings and see what else is out there. What other options do I have, right? So that's obstacle two. Obstacle three is the fear of defeat. He says there will always be setbacks, losses, and missteps. But the secret of life is to fall seven times and get up eight times. So, you know, probably if you're listening to this, you can start to like tick off the many times that that fear of defeat or that fear of failure has been present in your life or has come up for you in your life. Maybe it kept you from, you know, going left instead of right. Maybe it kept you from making that phone call or saying that thing or pursuing that calling, you know, and, and I think often 
when we're pursuing our calling, we also feel that the stakes are high. So we might play it safe. We might play it small, which is not what our calling asks of us, right? If we're living our calling, if we're pursuing our calling, the question that goes with that is how big can you be, right? How much can you step into this calling and this potential? But that fear of defeat is real. I don't want to diminish that. That's been there for me before. You know, I can think of multiple times where that fear of defeat, it may have delayed me. It may have, you know, again, I may, I probably took a misstep. You know, when I was first looking at opening my own group practice, the idea of having a business partner kind of helped alleviate that fear of defeat for a little bit. Now, I also, I was talking to one of my therapists and colleagues the other day, and we were kind of talking about that time period because she actually joined the company when I did have a business partner. And, you know, I had four kids and they were all in school. So it's not like I had any of them, you know, home full time. They were all in at least first grade on, but they were all in elementary school. They were young. And I also felt like I can't, do this with young kids. And so I think that also made the appeal of having a business partner, it just made it more appealing, right? Even though there were some red flags that came about as we were looking at creating a business and all of that type of stuff that goes along with creating a business, there were definitely at least three red flags that were definitely red flags, right? And I think at least two of them I saw and it made me pause, but this fear of defeat got me to commit instead. And that was like in 2011 and in 2014, in April, actually this month of 2014 is when I kind of went to, I had two business partners. One was also a therapist. One was going to do more of the business aspect. He had an MBA and I went to both of them and just said, I can't do this anymore. I I have to, I have to go somewhere else, right? I have to do something else. And I wasn't sure what that was going to look like at that point. And I was scared and it was not easy, right? I knew that I would not have their approval. So I had already kind of come through that obstacle, but that fear of defeat of leaving something and just doing it myself and kind of being a sole owner, right? Of a company. And I didn't have anybody else to kind of lean on have other ideas. Not that that was what this business partnership really looked like, but I, you know, it was going to be me and it was going to be my name. Not that the company's named Jackie Pack or anything, but it was going to be me. It was going to be my name. It was going to be my reputation. It was going to be based on my efforts alone. Although, you know, I think at that point I was underestimating how it wasn't just going to be based on my efforts alone, right? The people that I hired would also add greatly to what I was creating and the vision that I had. And I saw that, you know, last week and, you know, we were having a text thread or not a text thread. It was actually an email thread as a team. And I, you know, I just said, I think we can be proud of what we've created here at Healing Paths. And I so appreciate what each one of you has brought to that because it wasn't just me alone, you know, that, that created what we have. So again, can we allow ourselves to fall and stand up and look at what is the next step? You know, how do I continue to pursue this calling and not take the easy route or just give up? Now, the final test 
or the final obstacle is success. And Paulo writes that this is the most difficult hurdle, which is sabotaging our own excellence. And he quotes Oscar Wilde, who said, we will destroy that which we love the most. He said, we can still lose faith in our call at this point. There's always suffering, he says, but failure to use it to rise to the challenge creates a pain that eats away at our very soul. Like those are some sobering words right there, right? He says, there's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be some challenges that come as we're pursuing our call, right? Just because we're having success and pursuing our call doesn't necessarily mean that the you know, heavens open up and the waters are parted and all is well. But he says the failure comes in not using these challenges or not using this suffering to rise to the challenge. And if we sabotage or kill the thing that we love, right? If we eventually are the ones who take ourselves out, then that will create a pain that eats away at our very soul. Now, sometimes when I'm talking to clients, you know, I may talk about this particular thing as they're, you know, as, as they're pursuing something. And I say like, you know, one of the examples I use is, you know, President Bill Clinton. And again, I mean, whatever you think of him, right? I think he's a good example when we look at and say, okay, mostly from the beginning of his presidency and I don't know that much about his campaign, so I don't know if it was actually during his campaign or mostly just his presidency. He continually had people who betrayed him, who tried to take him down, right? There was a lot of investigations happening. Today, that seems a lot more commonplace to have continual investigations. But back then, that wasn't, you know, that commonplace. And he continually had people who were working against him and trying to bring about his defeat. But in the end, it was Bill himself who took himself out, right? And and I mean, again, we can talk about how he, again, rose in many ways and created the Clinton Foundation and is still an active part of philanthropy and work to change the world in, in some positive ways, right? As many presidents go on to do. But in the end, it was Bill himself who took himself out and became, you know, one of the first presidents to be impeached since Richard Nixon. And so again, that's an example I think we can look at, you know, other people maybe we know more closely to ourselves in our personal life and we can say, oh yeah, that's an example of somebody who getting close to this dream that they had or they continually were working for this dream, but we can see how they themselves sabotaged and got in their own way and they were their own downfall eventually. Or maybe, you know, we just see that clearly that's who we know them to be. So again, looking at that model for change, looking at those four points and the other side of the question, and then looking at these obstacles, sometimes knowing that these aren't obstacles that are personal to you, right? These are obstacles that are universal when we start to disinter wake up from the dream and start to hear our calling and pursue our own personal calling. Those are, you know, going to be obstacles that not just us, but everyone encounters. And the obstacles aren't necessarily the problem, 
right? Because each obstacle kind of clarifies things for us. It makes us stronger. It brings about more of our understanding of why we're pursuing what we're pursuing and why our call is our call. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.